As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia, and I am with my co-host, Matthew Fairburn, and we are now into the month of April, which means it's time to push free agency aside. The Bills are still kind of doing some lower-tier moves, adding some depth players, things like that, but for the most part, they're, the majority of their veteran roster is established. They brought in Emmanuel Sanders, they brought in Jacob Hollister, they brought in Mitchell Trubisky, maybe even you would count Matt Breda for this, but you know, for the, by by leaps and bounds, this is now the roster that we're looking at and it's time to turn the attention to the draft, which most years for Bills fans is usually a uh, an experience where they don't fans don't have to wait too long for uh, for that first round draft pick to come. But this year, it's going to be a pretty long wait unless the Bills trade up uh, in the draft order, getting having the 30th overall pick, a lot of variables in front of them, and you know, not really sure what way they're going to go because of both where they're picking and because of you know just uh, how much it varies with best player available uh, strategy compared to their roster. So a lot to get into with this, but we kind of wanted to refocus on what the bigger needs were heading into the draft into April and maybe the way we're kind of reading things as uh, as it stands right now. You know, obviously things can change over the next four weeks, but um, it looks like there seems to be a slight formulation of a plan, at least early on uh, in at least in terms of what it looks to be. So we'll get into all of that and and a bunch of different positions. But Matthew Fairburn, when you look at what the Bills did in uh, free agency, the draft, everything like that, the first thing that that uh, kind of jumps out at you that, okay, they still don't have X. And I, I think that that's a, that's a good jumping off point here. I think there's two spots and... We we did 
each did seven round mock drafts earlier this week at the athletic and took, you know, sort of two different approaches to the early rounds. And I think they're the two that stand out to me after looking at what they did in free agency and looking at, you know, what what's in front of them in terms of the number 30 pick and who might be on the board. I think it's cornerback and edge rusher are, are at the top for me. Yeah. And edge rusher, I think both are tricky for different reasons because they have invested in edge rushers over the last few years by signing Mario Addison, drafting AJ Epinesa in the second round. They took, you know, Ed Oliver's not an edge rusher, but he is a pass rusher, a defensive lineman, you know, a high pick on the defensive line. So they have some resources committed to their pass rush. So it's not, and, you know, at the pick number 30, it can be tricky to find a player who will contribute right away. Uh, Cornerback, I think you can easily say is a, a top need because they didn't really address it. And Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson are, are two guys that are, uh, you know, th- you know, they have fans in the building for sure. And they'd like to see those guys compete and, and earn some snaps in 2021. But they haven't brought in any outside help. Uh, and I don't think those guys are, are slam dunk you know, quality number two corners, especially in a, you know, league that is increasingly spreading the field and you need more than just two. Uh, they've had injuries at that position that have caused uh, some guys to get thrown in. So, you know, the difference between corner and edge rusher in this draft, the way I'm looking at it, um, you know, uh, you know, through through the eyes of, of some of the experts is you can get corners a little bit later than that number 30 pick. And I think the bills have shown, uh, or the staff has shown both in Buffalo and in Carolina that they can develop some later round players. Levi Wallace is a good example of that. An undrafted guy who has become, uh, you know, a decent starter for them. Dane Jackson, a late round pick uh, that could push for time in Carolina. They were able to find guys on days two and three. So they may think of it that way, but, I look at it from an organizational standpoint and, uh, you know, looking at the salary cap and how they're allocating resources, they're paying Tredavious White a lot of money on one side of the defense and mm-hmm. would have a chance to have a cost-controlled young corner for five years at the number 30 pick. I think it's a pretty enticing idea, especially when there's some pretty good players available at that spot. So I, I think... I look at the defense just because they haven't done much to address the defense. And that's, that to me is where they had some problems uh, toward the end of last season. And I think those two spots in particular, those are the pre the premium positions on your defense corner and pass rusher. And I think they need a little bit of help at both. Yeah. I'm with you on those top two. Um, the, the idea of a cornerback and their success in maybe not with an early first round pick or even outside of the first round, it's been, they, they've, they've done well with it. Uh, you look, the one name that kind of pops into my head from their Carolina days is James Bradbury, um, who they took in the late second round back in 2016, uh, really developed into a nice corner that it's, that's good for their scheme. 
and uh, has those prototypical measurements that they they usually look for the the thresholds. The you know Dane Jackson bucked the trend of their thresholds last year, but he was also a late seventh round pick, and they just wanted to see if they could get him uh, be, and see if he could play um, and if he could fit into their scheme. I know there will be some hesitation with cornerback in particular because with Dane Jackson's appearances, I think he had three games where he saw a legitimate amount of defensive snaps, two of which were starts. I think a lot of people kind of got attached to the potential of Jackson because he showed some flashy plays and some pass breakups, things like that. And there's no doubt that Jackson showed he can play. But if the Bills were to draft a cornerback, this doesn't necessarily mean that Dane Jackson and his future of being a legitimate role player for the Bills is done. Because Jackson, I think, is is that type of skill set and the type of um, body that can translate to the to the inside and and play nickel corner if they need him to. And why is that important? Because Taron Johnson is entering the final year of his deal. If you were to have Jackson play that nickel spot and, and draft a cornerback, whether it be the late first, late second round pick, then you have three spots locked up without with only having to allocate one legitimate draft resource this year to it. Um, so there is the potential of that, but I'm with you. I think cornerback, they need something. And I don't, I'm not sold that it needs to be the 30th overall pick because of how well they have done with developing some of these guys. But if that's what's standing out, like if there's a a run on pass rushers in in the twenties uh, in that first round, and you're left sitting uh, sitting by yourself and and see like a a Greg Newsom or or someone along those lines, just right there at thirtieth overall. Eric Stokes is another one that that comes to mind, even if some people might think he's a slight reach, but probably a pretty good fit for this defense. Uh, I think I think that would be very enticing for the Bills just to get a valuable player that can fit the system and that could potentially be an impact player. Now, is is that necessarily what they want to happen? Do they want to spend the 30th overall pick on a cornerback? I don't think they're opposed, but I do think the other position that you brought up, edge rusher, I think there is a chance for them to get someone that probably shouldn't be on the board um, based on the strength of the offensive tackle class this year, the strength of the quarterbacks, um, the wide receivers, uh, all of uh, really skill players. You know, there's a tight end that's going to be in in the top 29. Uh, there's, some, there's a couple of interior linemen that, that could crack the top 29. And I think there's a chance that it could push some of these good pass rushers or pass rushers with potential down um, into that 30th overall spot. So that's the one that really intrigues me. And uh, there are some names that, that come to mind when, when you look at the what could be there at 30th overall. Uh, I think Aziz Ojolari will probably be gone. He's the Georgia guy. But you look at a few names. 
Jalen Phillips from Miami is one that sticks out. Uh, Gregory Rousseau, his, his uh, kind of teammate from last year, he opted out. Um, but a teammate from two years ago at Miami, another one. Joe Tryon from from Washington is someone that could fit into that that mix too. So there's there is the potential that the Bills could be looking at someone that could develop into a better pro than they were a player in college and just because of the strength at other positions in the draft. So that that's one that really stands out to me um, that if they hit on a pass rusher at 30th, even though they've got some warts with their game right now, then that sets them up so well going into the future. And I think that's a really important thing that they have to consider going into this draft. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how they'll handle this draft as a whole because it is the probably the best example of them actually having a roster that allows them to draft best player available. They've done a pretty good job of that uh, last few years of you know signing free agents that help them take that approach into the draft. But this is really the best roster they've had to be able to do that, and it's also kind of an interesting turning point for them as an organization where they have some legitimate short-term Super Bowl aspirations in 2021 and probably 2022. And, you know, how long that window stays open depends on a lot of different factors. But they have those really enticing short-term goals. But they also have a foundation that could lead to sustained success, which has, you know, been their goal from the beginning. So we've seen teams drafting, you know, from 25 to 32, you know, since the end, since the beginning of the draft that trade up and really try to get an impact player because they think they're one player away and they think they're, you know, this guy will solve all their problems. Uh, you can go on and on at the list of examples of teams that have, you know, flown way up the board to get a player. And I know there's a lot of people sitting there saying, you know, go do that for a guy like Kyle Pitts or somebody like that. The price is probably too steep to make that kind of move. Uh, Pitts is probably going to go too high uh, to make that kind of move. But from a philosophical standpoint, I'm just interested to see how they approach it because you bring up some of these edge rushers that maybe won't be ready to play a a huge role right away. Mm -hmm. Are they going to be willing to be patient you know, another guy that comes to mind is Landon Dickerson, uh, who's injured, you know, coming off a torn ACL and, um, you know, a guy that has had a lot of injuries in college. You know, are they willing to take a guy that could be a huge impact player in years two, three, and four who maybe doesn't make much of an impact in year one because of an injury situation or because of, you know, needing some development like some of these edge players clearly do? Uh, are they going to be looking for 2022 and beyond more so than zeroing themselves in on needing to get somebody who makes a big time impact in 2021, because sometimes you can get yourself in trouble doing stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And some of the best picks come when you're taking that patient long-term view. And they're one of, you know, a handful of organizations that has the benefit of being able to do that, both because of the roster they've built that has also lent itself to security uh, you know, that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have. It's not an easy thing to do. You know, they're not in a Super Bowl or bust situation in 2021. So I think that that opens them up even more 
at the end of the first round because, you know, if you're looking at it from a 2021 only, then you might say go get a corner because that's probably the most short-term impact that you'll get. But, you know, if you look at it beyond that, you could open it up to really any number of positions, edge rusher, Mm -hmm. offensive line. uh, Maybe you could talk yourself into a linebacker, uh, depending on how they feel about Tremaine Edmonds. You could talk yourself into a safety uh, if they think, you know, depending on how long they think they'll keep that Poyer-Hyde combination together, flip it over to the offense. Uh, You know, you could make a case for a receiver early in this draft you definitely Pretty easily could. because yeah. Emmanuel Sanders is 34 years old. Uh, Cole Beasley is getting up there in age and you know, they, u- they like to use three and four receivers. So same thing at running back, you know, maybe Devin Singletary, they've already decided, you know, won't be worth a second contract. So, you know, you look ahead there. I, you know, we've had the first round running back conversation, but point being that if you're looking beyond the short term, you can all of a sudden really talk yourself into a lot of different positions, pretty much every one outside a quarterback. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I, I I am glad you brought up the the trade up um, point and whether or not this would be a staff in a situation to do that. We have seen Brandon Bean be um, very prone to moving up in the order before, and this is not something that uh, I think we're breaking news about. I mean, Bean has done it quite a bit since he became the the Bills GM, but. I do think that there are a couple of other factors at play here. You know, you talk about what the approach is for this draft and and what it should be, what it needs to be. Um, are they going to be able to find the impact player at either cornerback you know, or edge rusher? They're, they're two most glaring, I, I suppose, needs right now. Are they going to be able to find that while still obtaining a semblance of a a solid draft behind it like are they willing to go all in and trade away their second round pick to go up and get a guy like Caleb Farley or JC Horn or something like that or uh, Ojolari or wherever these pass rushers end up going quitty pay Um, I think I think these are the questions that they have to be asking themselves because I almost wonder if you look at how they've developed their young players throughout their time in Buffalo, it has, for the most part, been a pretty patient approach with a lot of their young guys. 
the only ones that that um, that stand out to where they immediately push them into a big time role were Tre'Davious White and Tremaine Edmonds. And Josh Allen kind of got forced into it because of the whole AJ McCarron, Nathan Peterman debacle that that year in 2018. I don't even think. Uh, they wanted Josh to play as early as he did, but their hand were, was kind of forced by how poorly Peterman looked. And, you know, of course, McCarron not really um, being a fit um, in Buffalo uh, in, in that summer. So those yeah, are they kind really of screwed be- that up themselves a little bit. But yeah, not, they, did, they absolutely they didn't did. position themselves to have a better option than throwing the rookie into the fire. And I think that's kind of the the point about their roster now, right? Like the, Tredavious White and Tremaine Edmonds got thrown into situations early. Right. But the roster was, you know, Shambles. such that, yeah, you, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't have been hard for a first-round pick to get thrown in. And those are, you know, high first-round picks uh, in the case of Tremaine Edmonds and uh, a guy in Tredavious White who walked into a roster that was basically starting from scratch. You know, right. if he didn't start at corner on that team, uh, there would have been some problems. So, uh, yeah, I think because of how they've set themselves up, a first-round pick, I think a first-round corner wins the job this year. I don't know that a first-round pick at any other position uh, does that unless they do the unthinkable and trade up for Kyle Pitts, then, you know, yeah. I would think he could beat out whoever uh, at tight end, but that would be a heck of a trade up. So, yeah, the, that would the that would mean a is a better in better shape than it was back then. If they're moving up to get Kyle Pitts, they're they're either trading a, a, a good piece off their roster or they are trading next year's first round pick because they're not going to be able to um, move up that much to draft Pitts because he is probably a top eight at worst top 10 selection um so so yeah that that would be quite the move up but yeah i think the way the way that they have handled their young players in the past leads me to believe that they would be a bit more patient and not make a a huge move up the board i'm not ruling out any trade up uh, because it, it will get to a certain point in the first round where they can move up and give away let's say their third round pick as opposed to their second round pick. I think that's a bit more of a starter for the Bills than than say giving up their second round pick and then putting all of all of their emphasis into the one player. If I had to guess, I would probably think they stand pat or trade down um, just based on where they are and what they need to do or what they should want to do with with this draft. I mean it's the 30th overall pick. There's a there's a chance there that they can find some good value with a first round pick at a position that if they're picking higher in the first round, it's not great value. Like you brought up interior offensive line. To me, that that's a very intriguing spot because we could see a bunch of turnover um, going into the 2022 season. So having the the, I guess, outright um, forward thinking to look beyond just what is clear and present as in terms of what they need to get better this season. But the thing is with like, we brought up interior line, 
that's not necessarily a spot where you can sit there and say, all right, this player isn't going to start his rookie season. Like that could happen. That player could beat out John Feliciano, could beat um, Mitch Morse for the starting job if if they play well enough. Uh, I would tend to think it would be Feliciano ahead of ahead of Morse, just based on the contract that they signed Feliciano to. But or uh, Cody but still, Ford, or Cody Ford. Uh, you know, of, I, of I th- those three, they pro- they have the least financial investment in Cody Ford. They have the most uh, sentimental and draft investment in Cody oh, yes. Ford, but. Um, you know, yeah, I think there are there is a job to be won on the interior of the offensive line if they get a good enough player. Yeah, and you know, Ford and the I guess the uh, what is surrounding him, the the draft capital that they that they placed on him a couple of years ago probably means he's going to be in the starting lineup because they they don't like to wave the white flag with with their draft picks within the first two years. Um, they usually like to see those things out. Uh, you know, they, they moved on from Zay Jones after seeing what he did a, a few games into his third season. Um, at, you know, in that second offseason, I don't know that there are a lot of examples of them of them going. Okay, nope, this is just not happening. We need to need to make make a move here. So, uh, what's important with that is the Cody Ford point. Um, Devin Singletary here, I think, is important for this too. Zach Moss, Dawson Knox, like these are four guys who a lot of fans are going. You need upgrades there, but. The Bills have been extremely patient with so many of their draft picks where it's like, are they really going to draft a legitimate resource ahead of those guys when they still don't know, or at least they're telling themselves they don't know? I just think there's a a major conflict of interest based on their overwhelming draft principles versus um, being reactive and, and... you know, selecting positions that they've just spent legitimate resources on within the last two years. So that, so the four point, it, it leads into the running back point. Um, but, but yes, they're, they should be looking past just this year, um, to, uh, for what they end up doing in the draft. And it opens up to a lot of different positions. But I also think that, that, uh, what I just brought up spending those resources over the past two years, probably puts kind of a barrier up to what they might want to do early on in the draft at least. I think what's interesting about the offensive line point is that they could draft an interior offensive lineman who is a potential Cody Ford replacement without it signaling that he is a Cody Ford replacement. If you draft mm-hmm. a running back, you're signaling that you're moving on or you don't believe in one of those two running backs at the very Probably least. Probably both. Because you really can't divvy up carries among three players that you've drafted in the top three rounds. Um, I, I just don't, it doesn't really add up. And if they do it, it says a lot about how they feel about those players, I think, especially just the nature of that position. Uh, and the same would go for quite a few positions, frankly. You know, if you're, if you're drafting a corner, you're probably saying something about Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson, not something that people don't already know about who they are as players uh, and what their potential is. But 
on the interior of the offensive line, you know, the buzzword is always versatility and position flexibility, something that they always go for. And they have two players in Mitch Morse and John Feliciano who they are not committed to significantly financially beyond this year. So, you know, when, when you were talking about, you know, how they've brought players in in the past uh, and how they've eased rookies into action and, you know, how a, an interior offensive lineman could win a job, I thought about it like like Deion Dawkins and Cordy Glenn. Um, you know, Deion Dawkins playing about half the snaps or Cody Ford and Ty Nseke. Um, mm-hmm. You know, him playing a little bit of a role and, you know, kind of easing into action. That could very well be the situation with a John Feliciano. Um, you know, you get a guy that, that can play some of his snaps or maybe by the end of the year take his job or if that if John Feliciano is playing great and Cody Ford isn't playing well then that guy can go over there Um, it would have to be a versatile player who can play on both sides uh, or maybe an issue pops up at center and if they bench Mitch Morse at some point in 2021 um, which I don't envision unless his play really declines because I think he's played pretty well but you know, it gives you options to say, all right, you know, it, there's not so much cross training going on there that it's like, um, Cody Ford being a tackle and a guard where mm-hmm. you're asking him to do a little bit too much. If you're asking a guy to be a left guard or a right guard or a center, there's players in this draft that fit that and that could do that. So, uh, an option that they wouldn't have had, you know, a luxury that they wouldn't have had in, in drafts prior where their roster just wasn't, you know, as strong everywhere else. But when you don't have obvious needs, you can plan a year or two down the road. And given the the way they've developed offensive linemen in particular, they haven't drafted one super high, but they've drafted them in the second round. It shows that they're not, you know, they view that as a position that takes a little bit of time. Uh, Even, you know, Wyatt Teller on an offensive line that was not good, took a while to get into the starting lineup, Uh, you know, and, you know, I mentioned Dawkins and Ford. So if you're planning ahead on your offensive line, then taking one of those guys in the first round, I'm starting to talk myself into it. Right. I mean, uh, I know it wasn't a, a popular thing, but in the in the beat writer mock draft, I, I had the Bills trading out of the 30 spot and going and selecting Creed Humphrey um, in, in the mid-second round. And it's it's not a cornerback. It's not an edge rusher. It's not a running back. It's not like hey, this guy is going to immediately start, but it could wind up being the best decision of the bunch uh, based on based on what you would be getting and the potential long-term ramifications of that if that player fits the skill set that you are setting up for your offense. I mean, the, the point of Mitch Morse not being a direct fit to what they wound up becoming as a as a, uh, a blocking scheme last year, I think is pretty important to the discussion because finding a player that is better suited to that to potentially be that long-term starting center, I think is probably a point of emphasis for the Bills at some point, whether it's in this draft early on or early next year. I, if if they can find the right player, there's a there's a 
very legitimate argument to make to to do that because of how much they value the center position. Think about what they have done since Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have been employed at center. Their first year, they gave Eric Wood a legitimately big contract extension. And they were unaware that he would have to retire at the end of the year, but they got that done um, before the season started because they believe in how much the center means to the core of their roster. It is one of their premium positions um, throughout the team, and and they they signaled that very early on. When Eric Wood couldn't... Um, couldn't play the next year. We saw what happened at center between Ryan Groy and Russell Bodine and how awful that was. And then they went out and spent a, they set the market at center with Mitch Morse, which is another indicator. And this is not a, an organization since Bean and McDermott have been there that have done a lot of setting the market in free agency, but they know how much they value the center spot and getting a good one, a passable one, is was so important to them that they were willing to set the market. So don't sit here and tell me that the Bills aren't going to use the 30th overall pick on an interior lineman if their current starting center isn't necessarily a shoe-in to be on the team at all next year because he's not a fit for their blocking scheme or not an exact fit for their blocking scheme, no matter... Um, no matter how he played last year. I mean, I thought he was a good pass blocker last year, but you could tell the run blocking was not great from, from Mitch Morse. So it's it should be a legitimate conversation for the Bills. And if the right player is there, the value of, of the position meets the pick and it meets the need. So 30th overall, do not be shocked if interior line is the play. Or, you know, in the second or third round, yeah, you know, that too. if they move back, you know, somewhere, I think all of these needs that we're talking about, you kind of throw them all in the same, a similar bucket where they could go any combination of those routes in the first few rounds, and it wouldn't be uh, super surprising. What you mentioned about the, the center position, uh, I when they were looking for a center a few years ago, I, I wrote about, you know, how important it was to the Bills and... Uh, Brandon Bean mentioned that, you know, it's easier to sleep at night if you have a veteran who you've seen do it before. But he also pointed to Ryan Khalil in Carolina, uh, who took over, you know, they had Justin Hartwig, but Khalil was kind of sticking out on their board. They took Khalil and by year two, he was the starting center. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's a, a easy parallel to draw to what the bill, you know, the situation the bills have now. They, you know, they have their Justin Hartwig, but if a guy like Ryan Khalil is sticking out to them, then I think it's it's easy to, um, you know, take that guy, let him sit, let him kind of, you know, learn. And, you know, you, f- you figure out from there. He was a second round pick, which is a pretty significant investment to make in a center. And, you know, Brandon Bean said, you know, when we spoke a few years ago, he's like, he could have done it in year one. Um, you know, he's, he was that type of, of player, but you know, they had a guy and you know, that was the luxury that they had to, to let him sit and develop. And I think when you look at it that way, it's pretty easy to see, you know, just looking at Mitch Morse's contract that, 
you know, 2022 is probably a stretch. Um, you know, they can save quite a bit of money moving mm -hmm. on from him. And, you know, I, I think it wouldn't surprise too many people if they did that. So, yeah, it has to be a guy that is is worthy uh, of the pick, and it has to be a, a player that you you think will be ready to play potentially even as soon as year one. But, again, they've set themselves up to they don't need to force that pick uh, because they have a guy. Um, and they're not leaving themselves, uh, you know, an obvious glaring hole on their offensive line at arguably the most uh, important position on the offensive line. They're, you know, they have a, a capable starter. They really have three guys capable of playing the position um, in um, Ryan Bates and John Feliciano. So there are, you know, options that they have behind Mitch Morse, but if they're looking for the guy of the future, it's why I think a guy that can do a little bit of everything up there just gives them another option. It gives mm -hmm. them, you know, you're, you you want to have as many options to turn to if Feliciano takes a step back, if Cody Ford doesn't take the step forward that you expect, if Mitch Morse uh, takes a step back, if Ryan Bates' development doesn't continue uh, the way they want it to, you know, give yourselves, uh, you know, an out, uh, and an option to say, all right, now this guy, he's our left guard now because Cody Ford didn't, you know, take that step or actually he's going to play right guard because, you know, we want to move on from John Feliciano after this year. So, um, that's where, the, and there's a few guys, Humphrey's one that you mentioned that, that fit that to a T. I think Landon Dickerson can move around, uh, mm -hmm. all along the interior and maybe is uh, the perfect candidate because he is, you know, coming off an injury and it would be the perfect excuse to, to sit him and let him develop. Um, and definitely has the play style that Bobby Johnson likes up front. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think I ended up going with Ben Cleveland who maybe probably isn't a, isn't a guy that would profile as a center necessarily, but uh, you know, I, I had the bills picking him in the third round uh, of our mocks. And, uh, I think same principle applies to both guard spots. Uh, and maybe you can teach him the center position because, right. uh, Ryan Bates had never snapped a football before the bills traded for him. And now, um, he kind of views that as his position. So, um, it's not the easiest position to teach, but you know, certain guys can certainly handle it. And, um, Mitch Morris was a college tackle and is now, uh, one of the highest paid centers in football. So, with the time to develop a player, you can get a little bit creative, um, you know, with an interior lineman that you think has that potential. Yeah. Also, Rodney Hudson, who is one of the best centers in the league, was not a center in college at Florida State. So there, there is that. I do think um, if they are going to take an interior lineman early in the draft, whether it be in the first or second round, that player needs to have center versatility. Like it can't be a guard only. Um, so that's why I, I kind of for a guy like um, Wyatt Davis from Ohio State, like the book on him is he's a guard, plug and play. Only place he's playing is guard, um, and he's locked in. And you're probably going to have to spend one of those first two rounds resources on him. But uh, I think like the guy that you brought up is Dickerson. He's the one to me that if he's there at 30, that is going to be an awfully tempting thing uh, for not just – this year potentially but down the line as someone that you can lock into as 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 someone that is probably going to fall down the order 
further than he would have if it, if it weren't for injuries. And if he's there at 30, then you could be able to find incredible value um, if if he's able to stay healthy throughout his professional career. So a lot to kind of kind of chew on there, but um, but yeah, I, I think bringing this whole thing around here, the Bills are in such a good spot to do a a forward-thinking draft pick with 30th overall. It doesn't have to immediately factor into the 2021 lineup. As much as some people want it to, I mean, it's not always the best decision. So if there's a... If you view Landon Dickerson to be a better graded player than Greg Newsom, who's a cornerback, but Newsom plays a position of need, you better be taking Landon Dickerson in in that situation, especially with how the Bills roster is setting up, because they still believe that they do have players at their roster on their roster currently that can start for them to where they don't have to force picks. And when you start forcing picks to fill needs, especially with the roster that they have, um, then that's where you start to get in trouble. I do think it's not just as simple as we've had this conversation in years past. It's not just as simple between uh, best player available versus need. I think there's a melding between the two that creates that the need creates um, uh, who teams believe to be the best player available but even still, I mean, you interior line is a need. And if you have a higher graded player there and not necessarily sure he's going to play right away, then you take him. It, 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 there's there's no doubt in my mind. You, you, you do that. You take that route other than uh, rather than the alternative. So. So yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways they can play it here. I mean, we brought up the, the main three positions, corner, edge, um, uh, interior offensive line, wide receiver could even be in the mix. Uh, you know, kind of doubt that, but you know, can't, wouldn't rule it out whatsoever. Um, I think another one to throw in there, maybe one technique defensive tackle if they love if they love one there. Um, uh, you know, you brought up safety, uh, may, might be in the in the first one, two, three round mix, um, and and certainly maybe a tight end, but but probably not because of their belief still in Dawson Knox. But but yeah, there's a lot of different ways that they can go here. And we're setting ourselves up for a pretty fun April, I'd say, um, with only four weeks to go before the draft. Oh my God, this offseason is flying by, man. Yeah, it really is. I guess that's what happens when the team plays until almost February. That's going to shrink the offseason a bit. And we lost all of our normal time markers with uh, Mm -hmm. no combine and uh, no owners meetings, things like that. It was weird to think, you know, a few owners spoke this week and I I was realizing, oh yeah, like the owners meetings would have already happened. um, (laughs) Right. If in, in normal times, but um, the calendar has been thrown out of whack a little bit, but yeah, about a month to go and not a, I don't think a draft that bills fans are sweating in the same way that they normally would because they don't, you know, and probably similar to last year where they didn't have, you know, glaring obvious needs and you weren't necessarily counting on those players to be the difference in, you know, the team's fortunes in 2020. And I think the same is true in 2021. And frankly, if that's true of your team, that's probably a good place to be in where you're planning Mm -hmm. a year ahead uh, as opposed to trying to scramble 
to find, you know, fill needs and find impact players. There will be years where that happens because of the salary cap and, uh, and everything else, but uh, certainly better to, to be in the spot the Bills are in now where, you know, they have most of their roster back and whatever they get from their rookies will be a bonus. For sure. All right, so um, that's going to do it for this episode of the Buffalo Beat. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our NFL Draft Reset post-free agency episode. We'll we'll be sure to dive into the prospects at this, these positions we were talking about a, a lot deeper and into you know who fits the Bills uh, and and really some of their strengths and weaknesses, things like that. All right, so for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. And we will talk to you next time. See you then.